Okay, folks, I know what we advertised for this week's podcast does not line up with what the title of the podcast you just opened up is. You see, we were trying to get a guest for our Harley Quinn-centric episode, but she was four hours away from her laptop, and Zencaster does not support cell phones at this time. Leaving me with only one thing to say... There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hey everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon show. And this week we are diving back into the Hanna-Barbera well, which I'm discovering is especially important right now because my favorite, read the only Hanna-Barbera-centric podcast I found out there, Limited Cell, has gone limited edition, which is to say their server has gone belly up. Don't! Yeah. So wherever you wherever you gentlemen are who produce limited cell, we hope every we hope you're safe and everything's okay. Agreed. Though, however, you know you don't ever have to ask me twice to talk about Hanna Barbera because holy crap, I love Hanna Barbera. <laughs> Naturally, when our Harley Quinn plan fell through, we needed something we could do quickly with an interesting backstory, and we could still get some comedic material out of and. Penny picked something that fits the bill perfectly, the Mumbly Cartoon Show. Not only did I pick something that fit perfectly, I picked something that was obscure and most people haven't seen. <laughs> yep, but I assure you, people do know Mumbly, but not a heroic Mumbly. Nope. Most people who know this character know him as the kind of mascot captain for uh, the really rottens on Laugh Olympics. Either that or they just mistake him for Muttley because, well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this was created with Hanna-Barbera knowing they had a rights issue with the Muttley character or not at this point. But there was a year before Laugh Olympics came along and they decided they wanted to do something to spice up reruns of the Tom and Jerry Grape Ape show. So they added a third segment called The Mumbly Show that has a character that's pretty much Blue Muttley with a trench coat. And five fingers! Ooh, freak show! <laughs> he's evolved further than Muttley. Maybe that's why he's treated like a human being and not like a pet. That could well be. Because he's not anybody's pet on this show, while Muttley is definitely Dick Dastardly's pet. Right, so... Our premise is Mumbly's a private eye working with police detective Chief Schnooker, who's voiced by John Stevenson, opposite Don Messick, utilizing the voice he's done since Griswold first snickered on Top Cat, and he'd reused for Precious Pup and Muttley himself. As well as Mugger in the uh, movie uh, Hey There, It's Yogi Bear, who also looks very much like Muttley despite predating Muttley. Now, much of the humor in this show is reminiscent of Tex Avery's droopy cartoons, specifically the ones where the slow-moving, soft-spoken beagle 
just kept outracing crooks to their destinations, driving them crazier and crazier as the short would go on. Don't you mean Basset Hound? Oh, he is a Basset Hound. I do apologize. Looks like a beagle to me, though. I'm pretty sure he's a Basset Hound. Anyways, I mean, he's got those Basset Hound jaws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I'm, I'm no expert on dog breeds. Well, you know, someone whose name is Pembroke W. Corgi should know about dogs, so... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Also, Seemly Mumbly was somewhat based off of Columbo, according to information. Which is probably why he has the beat-up-ass car. <laughs> mm. Now, I've been working in my spare time on a Hanna-Barbera drinking game. And this show seems to do so much to defy some of the things that happen in that. And one of those is the impossibly cool car. You know, it starts with the mystery machine, and suddenly it seems like every crime-solving group of characters has to have their own ridiculously cool car, many of them with wild, out-there gimmicks. Like being alive in Speed Buggy's case. Mm -hmm. But Mumbly's car, well, it's not going to be passing any auto inspections in New York State, let's put it that way. It is literally falling apart in almost every scene it appears in. There's multiple episodes where he, like, gets out of the car and just kind of takes the door with him. <laughs> <laughs> so a total of 16 Mumbly segments were produced each about the length of a theatrical short subject, and made part of an hour's worth of what was otherwise the aforementioned reruns of The Great Grape Ape and Hanna-Barbera's 70s Tom and Jerry output, which was specific for Saturday morning. And 70s Saturday morning, which means they're friends now. Yeah. And yet it's still better than the filmation version. <laughs> but... Seemingly, they aired the Mumbly cartoon also separately on syndication, where they gave it its own theme song, which is the same theme song as Tom and Jerry, the Tom and Jerry show, except with different words. They've reused that song like three times. Yeah, all for essentially the same show, but, well, it, it's still jarring because they gotta take this circus theme and suddenly apply it to what's supposed to be a hard-boiled detective. Yes. <laughs> uh, see, because I think there's a connection to Columbo with the original Muttley as well, because I think... Because it was based around the... the Wacky Races was based on the Great Race, and I think Columbo's actor was the, like, villain who also kind of grumbles a lot, and that was where the idea for to reuse the grumbling like dog boys for Muttley supposedly came from. So Ah, okay. So therefore Oh, if we're gonna make it a detective there we go, we can do this again. <laughs> Cause, you know, Hannah Barbera is not one to not reuse an idea when they can. Though I am curious about one thing with this show. With how long shows are usually in production, I kind of wonder if this show was made because they knew they couldn't use Dick Dashley and Muttley while they were making Laugh Olympics, and they made this show quickly just to have the XB Muttley character in there, even if he's a hero in this and not a villain like he is in Laugh Olympics. It's a possibility. Uh, 
Unfortunately, most of the people who would know have passed on, so uh, we will probably be pondering that for some time now. I do know it's the case with some characters, because the only reason, as weird as this is, the only reason Captain Caveman and the Teenagers were even created was because Archie told them they couldn't use uh, the Josie and the Pussycats characters in the show. Unga bunga, me must replace Sebastian Cabot the third. That is the case. Because, uh, yeah, there's even early like promotional art for Laugh Olympics that actually had Alexander, Alexandra, Melody, and Sebastian in it. Indeed but. there is, and of course when we do eventually do Laugh Olympics, we will get into the myriad changes that went on with that show. Yeah, seemingly uh, Hong Kong Fooey's only in it because they couldn't use the genie character. Mm. <laughs> but they could use Babu because, well, they created him, so... so- Shall we dive into our first of the two episodes we're going to be looking at? Yes, let's do it. All right, going in production order, we are going to first look at episode eight, The Great Graffiti Gambit. No relation to the X-Men character, of course. Though he's still French. <laughs> oh, quite obnoxiously French. I mean, we're talking would make a Monty Python French accent look tame. So bad that even Pepe Le Pew would be like, tone it down. (laughs) So our episode opens up and we already see our villain has been hard at work inspiring the future 80s Hanna-Barbera logo by painting psychedelic swirls and stars on buildings. I think it looks good like that. I think they should have kept it like that. (laughs) Yeah. I like justice and polka dots. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the mayor is bemoaning the pink with red polka dot paint job, the statue of uh, the iconic justice holding the scales while blindfolded has received. And our villain has even painted Chief Schnooker's black and white police car baby blue. I, I do want to say that uh, John Stevenson's voice for Cap uh, for uh, Chief Schnooker is <laughs> totally not a variation of his Mr. Peevesley voice from Help It's the Hair Bear Bunch. Yeah, I kept expecting to start going, Bunch, what are you doing over there? Bunch, those bears? <laughs> I'll get you, Hair Bear. I'll get you. Yet another show on the list. No, Hannah Barbera's got a lot of them. I like that show, though. So that would be a fun one. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in that one, too. And now Schnooker vows to, to the mayor to find the culprit, and he doesn't have to look far because he announces himself with a hammy, Here I am! <laughs> and paints a mustache on the detective, Daffy Duck style. Uh, th- this guy is... I don't know who should be more offended, like artist or the French. <laughs> so, he's his demands, a cool million bucks, or the graffiti continues. And as Schnooker calls for backup, Rafui, which is his name, by the way, I I kept expecting him to break into Baby Beluga when I heard that name. (laughs) He paints his escape route by painting a door on the wall that he then uses to get out. Because as he says, he's not only a good artist, he's a good escape artist. Mm Mm-hmm. So Schnucker tries to follow with wily coyote-esque results with bonus wet paint on his face. I will give him props for putting the wet paint on him. That That is a little extra effort that was not necessary. Yeah, yeah. 
Mumbly arrives, snickering, of course, and Snooker complains that he asked for a detective, not a defective. I don't know why Snooker has so much hate for Mumbly in this show, because he he succeeds at everything he does. <laughs> Regardless, he orders Mumbly onto the case and through the painted door, expecting Mumbly to bonk into it like he did. However, Mumbly walks through, complete with a weird sci-fi sound effect for some reason. <laughs> Cartoon logic is just cruel to folks like Schnooker, isn't it? Yep. It never works when you're the bad guy. Or the butt monkey. Well, yeah, but it, unlike some cases, I'll say Schnooker deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Rafui is about to vandalize the quote-unquote city's prize statue, conveniently allowing them to neither identify the statue nor the city. <laughs> Good job at that. Yeah. Well, totally not New York. Worked totally not Philadelphia. City. Totally not Chicago. Totally not Detroit. Totally it, not it's, Dallas, it's well be Springfield. <laughs> oh, so many Springfields. So, Bumbley interrupts with the trademark laugh, and Rafui recognizes it instantly, and seemingly when every character refers to Mumbly appearing, it's always, Mumbly, the famous dog detective! Yep, he's seemingly pretty famous. Maybe Schnooker's just jealous of him. That could be. Now, Rafui insisted that nobody could tail him, but Mumbly is doing just that under Rafui's painter smock, jacket, whatever they're called. To which he realizes he's been tailed literally as he pulls on Mutley's I mean not as he pulls on Mumbly's tail and reveals that he is in fact there. Yep. We're gonna be doing the Mutley Mumbly confusion a lot, folks. Get used to it. I mean, so. let's face it. it you were probably confused at some point when you were a kid, too. Yep. <laughs> I thought it was the same character for a long yep. time. So Rafui, quote-unquote, removes Mumbly with some paint, effectively erasing him, but the dog detective pops up in a nearby painting. I want to know what the heck paint that is, because I've never seen paint that you can just erase like that. Yeah, did he just paint Mumbly into the background? Did he just, did he use turpentine? Well, that is one of the three ingredients in the dip. Ooh, ooh, ooh. geez, that, that's a scary thought. Well, if that's the case, well, even that doesn't seem to affect Mumbly. Yeah. <laughs> Mumbly pops out of the painting and handcuffs Rafui, but Rafui slips out of the handcuffs because it's funny. There's another Roger Rabbit reference for you. And paints a <laughs> rocket in, his, in place of his wrist, Sending the dog skyward. Skyward sword. Wait, no. <laughs> and after kind of a weird explosion animation, Mumbly falls down, but manages to save himself by blowing up a balloon because I guess his lungs are filled with helium. That must hurt. <laughs> yeah. Although the color of that balloon, if you blinked and missed that it was a balloon, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was bubblegum. It was pink. Yeah. So this this escape of certain doom lands Mumbly on Rafui's pallet. And then he just decides to throw him out with the trash and then begins painting a massive ladder and a bitty airplane for his next masterpiece, The Greatest Escape. 
I, I want to say that I love the paint sound effect they use for him. It's this weird <laughs> sound effect that sounds nothing like painting, but it sounds like, I don't know, like some sort of machine making paint. <laughs> and now for my getaway plane! Yeah, I describe it as a cartoon grape squisher for automating the process made famous in that one I Love Lucy episode. So like... Basically. Unfortunately, even being in an airplane doesn't get you away from mumbly. Nope. Rafui wants to paint the town red in honor of it being Saturday. Now, is that a coincidence, or, or was he actually aware of what day the show was being aired? Possibly both. Hmm. Also... Paint it red literally, as you may have assumed. Yeah. As Pemmy alluded to, Mumbly's already on the plane, and with one finger, stops the paint sprayer, leading to the plane's cabin overflowing with red paint. If you look at that scene out of context, you'd think the sensors were asleep at the wheel. Oh, great. Now I have an out-of-context picture of the post. (laughs) We can always use more content. Uh, But... Yeah, because, you know, I have questions about how that plane is built if if it, like, fills up the cabin when it backfires. But then again, he actually drew this, like, whole plane, so I shouldn't be asking these questions to begin with. Yeah, it is admittedly an unusual question, but it's not even the wildest one we're going to encounter in this episode. <laughs> nope. <laughs> However, Rafui Rafui decides to get rid of his plane and Mumbly by throwing paint removal all over it before parachuting off of it. Which completely causes it to just vanish. Because, again, that's that's how it works, I guess. (laughs) Uh, we, We are talking about magic paint, so with no explanation of how it works... I'm having flashbacks to, uh, that Darkwing Duck episode now. Oh. Splatter oh, Phoenix. I'm, okay, I'm, I, I have not seen that one in forever. Yeah, uh, she actually appears in two episodes. But yes. Mumbly is saved this time by his coat acting as a parachute. And he lands in Rafui's freshly painted getaway car. To which uh, Rafui compliments himself of what a good job he's done. I did a good job. Yes? No? <laughs> no? No? Yes? And, uh... But to his surprise, Mumbly is there, snickering as expected. Yep. And now here comes that really massive question we were talking about, because this time, Rafui paints a time machine to send Mumbly a million years into the past, landing him on top of Brachiosaurus. And with some very Flintstone-esque backgrounds. Yeah. And by the way, the Brachiosaurus also grumbles like mumbly albeit with a deeper voice so we go back to grafui who is painting a self-portrait on the side of a building a building that i guess has no windows and he's musing about doubling his ransom demands to two million dollars dream big grafui dream big however his dreams are squashed because guess who's back and with no explanation whatsoever yeah at the very least, they could have drawn a leopard skin on, on atop Mumbly's trench coat, at least alluding to the fact that he just came from the distant past. 
To which Grafui goes, Sacre bleu, it can't! Sacre pink, it is! <laughs> Sacre pink, Jesus. Sacre pink. <laughs> Jeez, of all the all the well, puns. It, 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 well, it flows off the tongue better than Sacre fuchsia. <laughs> Sacre chartreuse. <laughs> so, Rafui slides down the rope, only to find Muttley is now up on the sidewalk with a net. He caught himself a criminal who just mm-hmm. can't take it anymore. Grafui surrenders, but instead of jail, Mumbly has a better idea. And it seems that he reforms him to where he has painted and cleaned up the entire city. Even even painting the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. Un- unfortunately, Mumbly's not the one getting the credit for this. Yeah, the mayor's congratulating Chief Schnooker for Grafui's reform. But as Schnooker boasts about how it takes a colorful character to capture someone like Grafui, he knocks over a ladder with a can of paint atop it, leading to being trapped in the former and covered in the latter, and he grumbles angrily to himself. (laughs) To which we end with, as you should expect... Mumbly snickering. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a very short break, and when we return, we will get to our second episode. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, when the USA Network wanted original animated content rather than simply airing reruns of older shows, they ended up with multiple adaptations of arcade fighting games. And since Halloween season is upon us, we're taking a look at the utterly misbegotten Darkstalkers cartoon. If nothing else, they wound up giving the world a Harry Potter-esque character nearly two years before the first book. We'll mourn the degradation of our nerdy crushes this October. Alright, Pemmy. You're sure this next episode doesn't concern a failed serial mascot? I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Because for the life of me, this guy looks like Sir Grapefellow. I never even knew such a serial existed. It's a rare thing when I present you with something new. and He even had a counterpart uh, that was a red cereal, but I forget what fruit flavor it was. Cherry, maybe? Possibly. Or maybe raspberry. Speaking it wasn't of... strawberry. That 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 would have been uh, homing in on General Mills' other similar monster cereal. Speaking of which, why don't we have grape cereals anymore? That actually sounds like it'd be good. That's a fair question. You know, artificial grape is to me what artificial orange is to you. I do love me some artificial orange. Though, I, I always say that artificial grape, while I like it, doesn't really taste like grape to me. It tastes more like I think a friend of mine, who is also ironically named James, used to describe it as, it's not grape, it's purple. It's the flavor of purple. Basically, at least as far as the modern American taste palette is concerned, I read somewhere that there's a grape that that used to be common in the, Ameri- in the American diet over a century ago that that particular uh, fake grape flavor is like. Hmm. But don't quote me on that, because it's been a while since I've seen it. 
Yeah, I remember uh, Mountain Dew had uh, Pitch Black, which was their grape flavor, which threw me off when I first tried it because it was closer to original. It was closer to a real grape than it was like, you know, artificial grape, which drew me off because I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't say it tastes like grape soda. So we're talking around the main subject here, which is episode 11 in the production order, The Perils of the Purple Baron. No relation to the perils of Penelope Pitstop. Or seemingly the Red Baron, but maybe. Or the Red Max. You can find many ways to tie this whole series back to wacky races, separate from just the mumbly-muttly connection. Which, uh, John Stevenson was also in Wacky Races, but that's mm-hmm. beside the point. <laughs> so, I seem to have noticed a theme in these antagonists you selected for me, Pemi, because in the first one we had a horrible French accent, now we have a horrible German accent. It wasn't intentional, but yes, we do. Also, a noted factor is that all of, uh, or at least a majority of the villains, not all of them, but a majority of the villains that Mumbly seems to fight all have illiterate names. And vastly more creative arsenals than most Hanna-Barbera one-off villains. Yeah, because this guy has the ability to stop you. Yes, when we open up this episode, he's immobilizing the populace of our unnamed metropolitan area with an immobilizing beam attached to his biplane. He lands to do his daily shoplifting as if he were going to a grocery store, taking in a $5 million haul. And that's in 1976 money. Imagine what that's worth today. Jesus. Yeah. He then returns to his secret penthouse hideout via a roof door that looks like it had fall off the building. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about that. (laughs) Also, I'm wondering how no one knows that that thing exists. It's right in the middle of the city. (laughs) Quite to be sure. Yet, here we are having just watched an episode with all this magic paint, and this is the thing that bugs us. <laughs> Mumbly comes into town, finding everybody immobilized except for him, and seems to not be 100% sure what's going on. He's just like, something funny going on around here. <laughs> Everyone stops. Yeah, even Chief Schnooker. But the Chief left Mumbly a pre-recorded message chastising him while describing the crimes. And Mumbly rummages through his pockets to find a picture of the prime suspect, said Baron. Which he just happened to have, fortunately for him. Yeah. And I should mention that this is probably the longest continuous, comprehensible speech I've heard from a character in this mold. Yeah, he actually does say somewhat intelligible things, like... (laughs) It's like... Everyone stop! Everyone stop! Even Snooker's mouth. <laughs> Guess uh, sometimes he just has to. Yep, exposition's got to go somewhere, and when everybody's stuck, he's the only candidate. Yeah, and heck, even uh, Muttley does that occasionally. Mm. Uh, I think the one I always remember most is uh, from Yogi's Treasure Hunt, where it's like. Where him and uh, where Dastardly and Muttley are claiming to be the uh, the the gods of rock and roll, <laughs> so it's like so when Dastardly tells them that they need to go do something, like Muttley's like, "I'm hip." Thirty hmm. Second Street. But anyway, we next find the Purple Baron basking in his success, and he's interrupted by that notorious snicker on the television. 
which Mumbly proceeds to jump out of. Which, uh, the Baron is quite impressed by this trick, before throwing him back into the TV. And barricading it underneath a crate, and then coating it in liquid steel. That's not a real thing, I don't think. No! <laughs> no! And for goodness sakes, this guy's hardcore compared to the typical Hanna-Barbera baddie of this era. However, I have a big question. If that's, like, coated in liquid steel, he then drops it on top of his plane, like the overhead, and it does nothing to that overhead. That's not the biggest question this plane is going to bring to us, either. The Baron decides to drop Mumbly 10,000 feet to the ground onto what looks like some farmland. But, of course, Mumbly pops up in the co-pilot's seat right after that. With an aviator helmet at that. Yet another tie to Muttley. Yep, unfortunately, he didn't have space for his ears to pop out like Muttley does. Mm. Must have been hard to hear. Yeah. That's probably why he didn't see the Baron's next move coming. Because here the Purple Baron gets serious, flying upside down to drop the dog detective. But does that stop him? Of course not. He brings out a tiny umbrella. And he safely lands within a cloud. If I wasn't afraid of getting sued, I'd insert a clip of the Rolling Stones, Hey, get off of my cloud in here. Well, maybe he just wants to kiss the sky. Or maybe he found, maybe he was looking for Lucy and the diamonds. Have you ever heard William Shatner sing that? It's freaking hilarious. <laughs> uh, not as hilarious as him singing Mr. Tambourine Man. She's the girl with the kaleidoscope eyes. And she's gone! Tangents aside. Yeah. Yeah, we, we could talk 60s musicians all day, but we're here to talk about 70s cartoons. And the Baron's next move is to turn the immobilizing bleam... Bleam? Immobilizing beam... I didn't know he on, was making a PS1 emulator. <laughs> There's something Chrissy and I ought to talk about someday. There's something that probably you and I are the only ones who got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe. And Chrissy probably got it, too. Anyways, I still can't believe they managed to sell that even temporarily at stores. Yep. So, with the cloud immobilized, the Baron breaks it up via the plane's propeller, but Mumbly's still in pursuit, this time hanging on via a hang glider. I guess he's just hanging around, as uh, I think the Baron stated. Yep. And in pursuit... The Baron's plane slices through the top of a mountain in his next attempt to eliminate Mumbly. That's a strong plane. Yeah. That's a strong biplane. <laughs> yeah. The Baron could be making a fortune selling his metallurgy and other material treatments to the highest bidder. Why is he dealing in petty theft? Is he just bored? Possibly. Now I just see that scene from, like, I think it was a spider-man comic or something where he's like sees sauron in the savage land and he's all like why are you turning people into dinosaurs with all this knowledge you could be curing cancer and sauron's just like i don't want to cure cancer i want to turn people into dinosaurs (laughs) yes (laughs) granted that's a fair point (laughs) if i had the ability to turn people into dinosaurs hello you'd be looking at me as a triceratops and not a raccoon Ooh, also my Favorite dinosaur, I might add. But 
We should get back to, as the Baron would say it, hair dog. Yes. Another immobilizing ray blast only hits the glider, which is then hit by the plane itself. And one further umbrella-assisted landing later, Mumbly's not out of tricks, lifting up a boulder to block the ray. Which somehow just causes the boulder to just levitate there, right in front of the Baron, who then stops his biplane in midair. Again, he should be selling the ability to do these things to the highest bidder. Is this that great German ingenuity I've always heard about? (laughs) Nope. German ingenuity or not, the Baron decides to just scram at this point. Can't say I blame him. (laughs) That dog did just pick up and throw up a boulder. (laughs) Basically. I'd be kind of like, yeah, I'm out too. (laughs) So, 5,000 miles away, 50,000 feet up, the Baron thinks he has lost Muttonbly and is enjoying the peace and quiet. But the noisy cloud behind him is revealed to be Mumbly in his now modified so-called car. He modified his car into a freaking plane. What is he, Tom Slick? Well, maybe, because after all, doesn't every episode of Tom Slick center him around modifying the Thunderbolt Grease Slapper into his ex-vehicle for that episode? Yes, even going as far to, like, I think a pair of, like, jet-powered roller skates at one point. Hmm. Or was it a jet-powered skateboard? Something like that, but yes. Something like that. Yeah. Mary Goat, I have I have modified the Thunderbolt Green Slapper into a pancake makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a show we should talk about someday. Yeah, we could do a whole trilogy on the George of the Jungle stuff. Tom Slick, I think it's a fun show, but it definitely seems to be the one that the the least remembered of those three shows. Well, when. One of them is the title show, and the other is frickin' Super Chicken. I'm not surprised. Yeah, good point. Because uh, Super Chicken is my favorite Jay Ward creation. So, But again, we're getting off the topic. Yeah. The Baron is unimpressed with Mumbly's engineering ingenuity, considering what, he, what he's made his plane able to do. I mean, that actually tracks. And he declares for a dogfight. However, his dogfight is to, like, cut off the back end of... Muttley's car plane thing and then saw off one of the wings yeah you could say he was taking care of some details <laughs> uh, yes you could say that because the Baron said it himself yep and I guess Muttley's just gonna have to wing it at this point yeah Though, or mumbly I mean <laughs> See, Muttley wouldn't be so surprised by this because he he and Dastardly did this crap all the time on <laughs> Dastardly and Muttley and their flying machines. Mm-hmm. So Mumbly descends again, but lands right in front of the immobilizer ray on the Baron's biplane. Uh oh! What will this dog detective do to prevent himself from being immobilized? Since he's right in point blank range, and there's nothing he can do to stop the beam, or so we think. Yeah, there's one thing he can do. It's basically the exact same thing he did to Graffiti's uh, paint sprayer. He just jams it with his paws. Funny how that works for something that's, I guess, a beam? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it works. if it works for Bugs Bunny. True. So this causes a backfire, and our next scene is the mayor giving Chief Schnooker the credit again. 
Also, I want to point out that this mayor looks completely different than the last mayor. <laughs> Must have been a scandal. <laughs> Either that or multiple years passed. Hmm. Oh, I, I do have to say, though, I do like the scene with the purple baron when he's trying to shoot it and mumbly pl- uh, plugs it with his paws. He's like, stop that. You're going to make it backfire. Backfire? <laughs> so, yeah. Mumbly is unloading the immobilized Baron, and as Schnooker is taking the credit, we discover that there is in fact a god in this world, because Schnooker accidentally immobilizes himself. Don't! Yeah, because the mayor said that they should make a statue of Schnooker, and he was like, oh, well, how about well, me holding this gadget he was using to immobilize everyone, and then immobilizes himself. Yep. So Schnooker earns his salary as the statue, complete with pigeons. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> Just like our previous episode, Schnooker grumbles, mumbly snickers, the end. You can say it almost ends like a majority of the Wacky Races episodes, except, you know, with Muttley laughing instead of mumbly. Essentially. So what do you, what do you, what do you think of this show? I've seen worse, but I've seen better. Yeah, it's a case where I like it, but I don't love it. Because it's one of those shows that you really... If you watch, like, occasional episodes, or, like, how it was originally aired, like, once every week, it's it's pretty good. But if you try binging this show, it gets repetitive fast. Mm-hmm. Especially with the in- inevitable comparisons to... All those Tex Avery short subjects with similarly uh, improbably popping up protagonists. Yeah, the one I always think of the most is that one where Droopy's the Mountie and the wolf is a convict. And mm. it's just the whole thing is the wolf trying to get a, get away and every place he goes, Droopy's there. Including at one point jumping in the mouth of a lion. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, good old Tex Avery. Yes. But that works for a good few theatrical shorts. 16 episodes, however. Yeah, it does stretch the premise as as far as it can go. So it was just as well. The Mumbly Show didn't go very far in the ratings. But as we already discussed, Mumbly would resurface on Scooby-Doo's All-Star Laugh Olympics. A show we definitely need to talk about because that show is quite an amazing feat in just what it accomplishes in the first place. Mm -hmm. See, I can't think of any other show where you have that many characters all together for an event and on a regular Saturday schedule at that. Indeed. Also, Mumbly and the Dread Baron do appear in a made-for-TV movie, which was uh, Yogi Bear and the Mystery of the Spruce Goose. Yep, inspired by the Howard Hughes made plane. Which I saw the Spruce Goose once uh, when I was a kid. It was, I saw it in the Queen Mary because they were, had a tourist, they're like pretty much tourist attractions at the time. I don't know what, I don't think they're still doing that anymore. Okay. But, and if I, I don't remember because I haven't seen that movie. If I, I haven't seen that movie in ages. I think the last time I saw it, it was like six, but I think I remember reading somewhere that, because in uh, Left Olympics, Paul Winchell, who is the voice of Dick Dastardly, 
doesn't play the Dread Baron. It's John Stevenson, and I'm right. sure, I'm sure it's just a. I don't think Paul Winchell's in the show at all, so I think it's just a case of uh, Hanna Barbera like wanting to hire one less voice actor for the show because there's a few cases of that happening. Like Frank Welker takes over for Tinker in Speed Buggy, mm-hmm. but uh, it, supposedly in the Spruce Goose movie, though. Paul Winchell is the Dread Baron in that, just making the dictationally aspect even more confusing. Yeah. As for Mumbly, to my knowledge, his last appearance would be a background cameo in the super-secret squirrel segments of Two Stupid Dogs. Yep, I remember that, because he was in the uh, detective bar, or whatever it was, where where super-secret squirrel was talking to uh, Snooper and Blabber. Yeah, desperately trying to figure out what to do with his life when his job was taken over by uh, the Money Penny XP. Yep, and I and that was also the first time I saw Undercover Elephant. Oh, that's right. Uh, he he actually appears a few times in uh, Yogi's Treasure Hunt, which is also a show that we should discuss sometime, or I should do a cartoon catastrophe episode on because man, that show is weird. Yeah. <laughs> It's a weird case where, like, the first season of that show is, like, kind of basic. Like, it's kind of bland and basic, but with each season, and it got three seasons, it starts getting weirder and more satirical. Where in the third season, it just felt like the writers didn't care, and they were just being as cynical and sarcastic as they possibly can. (laughs) Indeed. You've told me about that third season a couple times now. I, I just think the thing I always think of the most was there was like one where they come back from a commercial and it's literally Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear dressed as Siskel and Ebert criticizing the plot of the show. (laughs) Granted, I can actually see Huckleberry Hound standing in for for Siskel. (laughs) Well, Yogi fits Ebert too when you think about it, but (laughs) yeah, but yeah, wonder if we'll ever see Mumbly again. It would be fun to see, like, Mumbly and Muttley actually be together at some point. Indeed. Oh, that does remind me. I was doing some research, and I did find out one thing, but I'm not sure if you could count it as canon or not. Okay. Supposedly, according to the Laugh Olympics comic books, Mumbly is Muttley's cousin. Hmm... But since it's a comic book spinoff, I don't know how canon that could be counted as. True, true. Well, normally, this is when we've run out of episodic content to talk about. This is when we say we're going to restock the breakfast cereal. But instead, we're going to get packing. To Flower City Comic Con! That's right. Because in eight days, as of the debut of this episode... Pemmy and I will both be at the Flower City Comic Con in Gates, New York, in, which is a suburb of Rochester. On It's September 25th and 26th at the Total Sports Experience. If you are in the Rochester area, tickets are for sale at local comic shops. You can also get them at www.fc3.roc.org. We will be there both days. You can find Pemmy in the Artist's Alley. I will be volunteering in the panel rooms. And we will be doing a panel ourselves on Sunday. Yes, it will be great. I'm I'm really excited about this. So yeah, I can't absolutely cannot wait to show you around Rochester. You're gonna finally see a Wegman's man. 
I'm just happy to finally get to be in a get to go to like the state of New York or any actually northern state because I've only been to southern states. And that reminds me, I've got to share the website for the Strong Museum of Play with you because once you see what's in this place, your jaw's gonna hit the floor. Nice. Unless you just want to be surprised when you get there. That's a ooh, that's a hard that's a hard one. It is nice to be surprised, but hmm. While we ponder that, we're going to bid you adieu. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. See ya! The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.